Act One of Henry V. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry V by William Shakespeare. Dramatis Personae. Ellis, read by Caroline Sophie. The Archbishop of Canterbury, read by Sean Randall. Bardolph, read by John Frecker. Bates, soldier in King Henry's army, read by David Lawrence. Bishop of Eli, read by Algie Pug. The Boy, read by Aldo. Chorus, read by Elizabeth Clatt. Constable of France, read by Lars Rolando. Court, read by Dale Burgess. Duke of Bedford, read by dale burgess duke of bourbon read by algie pug duke of burgundy read by algie pug duke of exeter uncle to henry the fourth great uncle to henry the fifth read by david goldfarb the duke of gloucester read by tig hines duke of orleans read by rick f duke of york earl of cambridge earl of salisbury Earl of Warwick, read by Algie Pug. Earl of Westmoreland, read by Timothy Ferguson. First Ambassador, read by Dale Burgess. Fluellen, read by Martin Giessen. French Soldier, read by Nadine Boulet. Governor of Harfleur, read by Dale Burgess. Gower, read by Bruce Peary. Grand Pre read by dale burgess henry v read by ariel lipshaw harold read by maria therese hostess quickly hostess of a tavern in east cheap read by elizabeth clatt jamie recording by len nicholson catherine read by iswa king of france read by paul adams louis the dauphin read by nadine Boulet. lord scroop read by bruce peary macmorris by tig hines messenger read by elizabeth clatt montjoy read by amy graymore the role of nim read by sandra pistol read by algy pug queen isabel read by colinda rambour a french lord read by elizabeth clatt sir thomas erpingham Sir Thomas Gray, read by Dale Burgess. Williams, read by Ty Unglebauer. Narrated by Elizabeth Clatt. Prologue. Enter Chorus. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, a kingdom for a stage, princes to act, and monarchs to behold the swelling scene. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars, and at his heels, leashed in like hounds, should famine's sword and fire crouch for employment. But pardon, gentles all, the flat unraised spirits that have dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth so great an object. Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram within this wooden O 
the very casks that did affright the air at Agincourt. Oh, pardon! Since a crooked figure may attest in little place a million, and let us ciphers to this great account on your imaginary forces work. Suppose within the girdle of these walls are now confined two mighty monarchies, whose high uprearied and abutting fronts the perilous narrow ocean parts asunder. Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Into a thousand parts divide one man, and make imaginary puissance. Think, when we talk of horses, that you see them printing their proud hoofs o' the receiving earth, for tis your thoughts that now must deck our kings, carry them here and there, jumping o'er times, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hour-glass. For the which supply, admit me chorus to this history, who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray, gently to hear, kindly to judge, our play. Exit. Act One. Scene One. London. An antechamber in the King's Palace. Enter the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of Ely. My lord, I'll tell you that Southbill is urged, which, in the eleventh year of the last king's reign, was like and had indeed against us past, but that the scambling and unquiet time did put it out of further question. But how, my lord, shall we resist it now? It must be thought on. If it pass against us, we lose the better half of our possession. For all the temporal lands which men devout by testament have given to the church, would they strip from us, being valued thus, as much as would maintain to the king's honour full fifteen earls and fifteen hundred knights, six thousand and two hundred good esquires, and to relief of lazars and weak age of indigent faint souls past corporal toil, a hundred almshouses right well supplied and to the coffers of the king beside, a thousand pounds by the year. Thus runs the bill. This would drink deep. T'would drink the cup and all. But what prevention? The king is full of grace and fair regard. And a true lover of the holy church. The courses of his youth promised it not. The breath no sooner left his father's body, but that his wildness, mortified in him, seemed to die too. Yea, at that very moment, consideration like an angel came, and whipped the offending Adam out of him, leaving his body as a paradise to envelop and contain celestial spirits. Never was such a sudden scholar made, never came reformation in a flood with such a heady currence, scouring faults, nor never hydra-headed wilfulness. So soon did lose his seat, and all at once, as in this king. We are blessed in the change. Hear him, but reason in divinity, and all admiring with an inward wish, you would desire the king were made a prelate. Hear him debate of commonwealth affairs, you would say it hath been all in all his study. List his discourse of war, and you shall hear a fearful battle rendered you in music. Turn him to any cause of policy, the Gordian knot of it he will unloose, familiar as his garter, that, when he speaks the air, a charter of liberty is still, and 
the mute wonder lurketh in men's ears to steal his sweet and honeyed sentences so that the art and practic part of life must be the mistress to this theoric which is a wonder how his grace should glean it since his addiction was to courses vain his company's unlettered rude and shallow his hours filled up with riots banquets sports and never noted in him any study any retirement any sequestration from open haunts and popularity the strawberry grows underneath the nettle and wholesome berries thrive and ripen best neighbored by fruit of baser quality and so the prince obscured his contemplation under the veil of wildness which no doubt grew like the summer grass fastest by night unseen yet crescive in his faculty it must be so for miracles are ceased and therefore we must needs admit the means how things are perfected but my good lord how now for mitigation of this bill urged by the commons doth his majesty incline to it or no he seems indifferent or rather swaying more upon our part than cherishing the exhibitors against us for i have made an offer to his majesty upon our spiritual convocation and in regard of causes now in hand which i have opened to his grace at large as touching france to give a greater sum than ever at one time the clergy yet did to his predecessors part with all how did this offer seem received my lord with good acceptance of his majesty save that there was not time enough to hear as i perceived his grace would fain have done the severals and unhidden passages of his true titles to some certain dukedoms and generally to the crown and seat of france derived from edward his great-grandfather what was the impediment that broke this off the french ambassador upon that instant craved audience and the hour i think is come to give him hearing is it four o'clock it is then go we in to know his embassy which i could with a ready guess declare before the frenchman speak a word of it i'll wait upon you and i long to hear it exeunt scene two the same the presence chamber enter king henry v gloucester bedford exeter warwick westmoreland and attendants where is my gracious lord of canterbury not here in presence send for him good uncle shall we call in the ambassador my liege not yet my cousin we would be resolved before we hear him of some things of weight that task our thoughts concerning us and france enter the archbishop of canterbury and the bishop of ely god and his angels guard your throne and make you long become it sure we thank you my learned lord we pray you to proceed and justly and religiously unfold why the law salic that they have in france or should or should not bar us in our claim and god forbid my dear and faithful lord that you should fashion rest or bow your reading or nicely charge your understanding soul with opening titles miscreant whose right suits not in native colours with the truth for god doth know how many now in health shall drop their blood in approbation of what your reverence shall incite us to therefore take heed how you impawn our person how you awake our sleeping sword of war we charge you in the name of god take heed for never two such kingdoms did contend without much fall of blood whose guiltless drops are every one a woe a sore complaint gainst him whose wrong gives edge unto the swords that make such waste in brief mortality under this conjuration speak my lord for we will hear note and believe in heart 
that what you speak is in your conscience washed as pure as sin with baptism. Then hear me, gracious sovereign, and you peers that owe yourselves your lives and services to this imperial throne. There is no bar to make against your highness' claim to France, but this, which they produce from Faramund. In terram salicam mulieres ne succedant, no woman shall succeed in salic land which salic land the french unjustly glows to be the realm of france and fireman the founder of this law and female bar yet their own authors faithfully affirm that the land salic is in germany between the floods of sala and of elbe where charles the great having subdued the saxons there left behind and settled certain french who holding in disdain the German women, for some dishonest manners of their life, established then this law, to wit, no female should be an heretrix in Salic land, which Salic, as I said, twixt Elbe and Sala, is at this day in Germany called Meissen. Then doth it well appear that Salic law was not devised for the realm of France, nor did the French possess the Salic land until four hundred and one and twenty years after defunction of King Faramand, idly supposed the founder of this law, who died within the year of our redemption four hundred twenty-six, and Charles the Great subdued the Saxons, and did seat the French beyond the river Sala, in the year eight hundred five. Besides, their writers say, King Pepin, which deposed Childric, did, as heir general, being descended of Blithild, daughter of King Clothair, make claim and title to the crown of France. Hugh Capet also, who usurped the crown, of Charles, the Duke of Lorraine, sole heir male of the true line and stock of Charles the Great, to find his title with some shows of truth. Through in pure truth it was corrupt, and naught conveyed himself as heir to the Lady Lingar, daughter to Charlemagne, who was the son to Louis the Emperor and Louis the son of Charles the Great, also King Louis the Tenth, who was sole heir to the usurper Capet, could not keep quiet in his conscience wearing the crown of France, till satisfied that fair Queen Isabel, his grandmother, was lineal of the Lady Lanningar, daughter to Charles, the foresaid Duke of Lorraine. By the which marriage, the lion of Charles the Great was reunited to the crown of France, so that as clear is the summer's sun, King Pepin's title and Hugh Capet's claim, King Louis his satisfaction, all appear to hold in right and title of the female. So do the kings of France unto this day, howbeit they will hold up this sonic law to bar your highness claiming from the female, and rather choose to hide them in a net than amply to imbar their crooked titles usurped from you and your progenitors. May I with right and conscience make this claim? The sin upon my head, dread sovereign, for in the book of numbers is it writ that when the man dies, let the inheritance descend unto the daughter. Gracious Lord, stand for your own, and wind your bloody flag. Look back into your mighty ancestors. Go, my dread Lord, to your great-grandsire's tomb, from whom you claim. Invoke his warlike spirit, and your great-uncle's Edward, the Black Prince, who, on the French ground, played a tragedy, making defeat on the full power of France, whilst his most mighty father on a hill stood smiling to behold his lion's whelp, forage in blood of French nobility. O oh, noble English that could entertain with half their forces the full pride of France, 
and let another half stand laughing by, all out of work and cold for action. Awake, remembrance of these valiant dead, and with your puissant arm renew their feats. You are their heir, you sit upon their throne. The blood and courage that renowned them runs in your veins, and my thrice puissant liege is in a very May morn of his youth, ripe for exploits and mighty enterprises. Your brother kings and monarchs of the earth do all expect that you should rouse yourself as did the former lions of your blood. They know your grace hath cause and means and might. So hath your highness. Never king of England had nobles richer and more loyal subjects, whose hearts have left their bodies here in England and lie pavilioned in the fields of France. Oh, let their bodies follow, my dear liege with blood and sword and fire to win your right, in aid whereof we of the spirituality will raise your highness such a mighty sum as never did the clergy at one time bring it to any of your ancestors. We must not only arm to invade the French, but lay down our proportions to defend against the Scot, who will make road upon us with all advantages. They of those marches, gracious sovereign, shall be a wall sufficient to defend our inland from the pilfering borderers. We do not mean the coursing snatchers only, but fear the main intendment of the Scot who hath been still a giddy neighbour to us. For you shall read that my great-grandfather never went with his forces into France, but that the Scot on his unfurnished kingdom came pouring, like the tide into a breach, with ample and brimfulness of his force, galling the gleaned land with hot assays, girding with grievous siege castles and towns, that England, being empty of defence, hath shook and trembled at the ill neighbourhood. She hath been then more feared than harmed, my liege, for here are but exampled by herself, when all her chivalry hath been in France, and she, a mourning widow of her nobles, she hath herself not only well defended, but taken and impounded as a stray the King of Scots, whom she did send to France, to fill King Edward's fame with prisoner kings, and make her chronicle as rich with praise as is the ooze and bottom of the sea, with sunken wreck and sunless treasuries. But this is saying, very old and true, if that you will France win, then with Scotland first begin. For once the eagle England being in prey, to her unguarded nest the weasel Scot comes sneaking, and so sucks her princely eggs, playing the mouse in the absence of the cat, to tear and havoc more than she can eat. It follows, then, the cat must stay at home. Yet that is but a crushed necessity, since we have locks to safeguard necessaries, and pretty traps to catch the petty thieves. While that the armed hand doth fight abroad, the advised head defends itself at home. For government, though high and low and lower, put into parts, doth keep in one consent, congreeing in a full and natural close, like music. Therefore doth heaven divide the state of man in divers functions, setting endeavour in a continual motion, to which is fixed as a name or but obedience. For so work the honey-bees, creatures that by a rule in nature teach the act of order to a peopled kingdom. They have a king and officers of sorts, where some like magistrates correct at home, others like merchants venture trade abroad. Others, like soldiers armed in their stings, make boot upon the summer's velvet buds, which pillage they with merry march bring home to the tent royal of their emperor, who, busied in his majesty, surveys 
the singing masons building roofs of gold, the civil citizens kneading up the honey, the poor mechanic porters crowding in their heavy burdens at his narrow gate, the sad-eyed justice with his surly hum, delivering ore to executors pale, the lazy yawning drum. I this infer, that many things, having full reference to one consent, may work contrariously, as many arrows loosed in several ways come to one mark, as many ways meet in one town, as many fresh streams meet in one salt sea, as many lines close in the dial centre, so may a thousand actions once afoot end in one purpose, and be all well born without defeat. Therefore to France, my liege, divide your happy England into four, whereof take you one quarter into France, and you withal shall make all Gallia shake. If we, with thrice such powers, left at home, cannot defend our own doors from the dog, let us be worried, and our nation lose the name of hardiness and policy. Call in the messengers sent from the Dauphin. Exeunt some attendants. Now are we well resolved, and by God's help and yours, the noble sinews of our power, France being ours, we'll bend it to our oar, or break it all to pieces. Or there we'll sit, ruling in large and ample empery, or France and all her almost kingly dukedoms, or lay these bones in an unworthy urn, tombless, with no remembrance over them. Either our history shall with full mouth speak freely of our acts, or else our grave, like Turkish mute, shall have a tongueless mouth, not worshipped with a waxen epitaph. Enter ambassadors of France. Now are we well prepared to know the pleasure of our fair cousin Dauphin, for we hear your greeting is from him, not from the king. It please your majesty to give us leave freely to render what we have in charge, or shall we sparingly show you far off the Dauphin's meaning and our embassy? We are no tyrant, but a Christian king, under whose grace our passion is as subject as are our wretches fettered in our prisons. Therefore, with frank and with uncurbed plainness, tell us the Dauphin's mind. Thus, then, in few, your highness, lately sending into France, did claim some certain dukedoms in the right of your great predecessor, King Edward Third. in answer of which claim the prince, our master, says that you savour too much of your youth, and bids you be advised, there's not in France that can be with a nimble galliard one. You cannot revel into dukedoms there. He therefore sends you meter for your spirit, this tune of treasure, and, in lieu of this, desires you let the dukedoms that you claim hear no more of you. This the Dauphin speaks. What treasure, uncle? Tennis balls, my liege. We are glad the Dauphin is so pleasant with us. His present and your pains we thank you for. When we have marched our rackets to these balls, we will in France, by God's grace, play a set shall strike his father's crown into the hazard. Tell him he hath made a match with such a wrangler that all the courts of France will be disturbed with chases. And we understand him well, how he comes o'er us with our wilder days, not measuring what use we made of them. We never valued this poor seat of England and therefore, living hence, did give ourselves to barbarous license, as tis ever common that men are merriest when they are from home. 
but tell the dauphin i will keep my state be like a king and show my sale of greatness when i do rouse me in my throne of france for that i have laid by my majesty and plodded like a man for working days but i will rise there with so full a glory that i will dazzle all the eyes of france yea strike the dauphin blind to look on us and tell this pleasant prince this mock of his hath turned his balls to gunstones and his soul shall stand sore charged for the wasteful vengeance that shall fly with them for many a thousand widows shall this his mock mock out of their dear husbands mock mothers from their sons mock castles down and some are yet ungotten and unborn that shall have cause to curse the dauphin's scorn but this lies all within the will of god to whom i do appeal and in whose name tell you the dauphin i am coming on to venge me as i may and to put forth my rightful hand in a well-hallowed cause so get you hence in peace and tell the dauphin his jest will savour but of shallow wit when thousands weep more than did laugh at it convey them with safe conduct fare you well exeunt ambassadors this was a merry message we hope to make the sender blush at it therefore my lords omit no happy hour that may give furtherance to our expedition for we have now no thought in us but france save those to god that run before our business therefore let our proportions for these wars be soon collected and all things thought upon that may with reasonable swiftness add more feathers to our wings for god before we'll chide this dauphin at his father's door therefore let every man now task his thought that this fair action may on foot be brought exeunt flourish end of act one